First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Navigating Life's Difficulties. This is part 8, and the title is Ministering in the Midst of Life's Difficulties. It's one thing to face an anonymous persecution like the institutions or citizens that we don't know, but it's a whole different thing to face persecution from those in our life that have been very close to us, like family, like friends, and even the body of Christ. So what do you do when we encounter that? What do we, how, how do we navigate with the most heartbreaking persecution of all? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. To have the same mind that Jesus had when he faced the same kind of suffering. What was the mindset? What was the mental outlook? Well, it's that what we are to emulate. And I believe the mindset was echoed by Peter in chapter 3, verse 17, when he said this, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. <clears throat> what that verse tells us, that no one escapes suffering in the world. And sometimes we look at the world and the success of some folks that are not Christians and they have no suffering at all. But we have to understand, no one escapes suffering. When a Christian who desires to do the will of God, that is being obedient to God and suffering comes their way, it's a good thing. We are told we are absolutely blessed. I mean, Jesus told us in the Sermon of the Mount that, you know, uh, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is your reward for even the prophets were persecuted. You see, this kind of suffering that we go through is the best suffering a person can ever experience. I believe that was the mindset of Christ. So this kind of persecution is a good sign spiritually. Now, this is talking about persecution that comes into our lives just by simply living the life that Jesus has called us to. It's not being a weird Christian. It's not being some kook out there trying to elicit persecution because they're being weird but they're, and they're not being Christ-like. No, this is talking about persecution that comes into our lives just by simply living the life that Jesus has called us to. And what Peter is saying, when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when we are living a right life in the sight of God, that means a Christian is no longer engaged into willful, ongoing sin, but is making a stand against those sins that used to permeate their life before Christ. They want to be a different person. They don't want those sins they did before Christ or be in their life now that they are in Christ. It's not that they can't do them. They don't want to do them, and that's the mark of a changed life. We are just simply living the life Jesus has called us to. But how, how we react to persecution says really a lot about us. It's the same event that can cause different reactions from different Christians and different effects on people, all depending on the condition of the heart. For example, you know, when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't the only one hanging on a cross that day. There were two thieves suffering along with Jesus. One of these thieves railed on Jesus for not saving himself in them. The other looked at the same scene in the same condition, and all he could see was the injustice of it all. Why they were doing this to Jesus when he'd done no wrong. And of course, his heart melted at that time, and he repented of his sin, and he put his faith in Jesus right there on the cross. The same event, same circumstances, with two entirely different responses. Listen, the same event exposing the inward reality of those who are involved. The same persecution causes one person to draw into Jesus and another to draw away from Jesus. Let me give you an example. If you were to go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee, and as you drive away, 
you didn't put a lid on it because you wanted to get your caffeine fixed quickly because you're in a hurry. And so you drive away and you hit a bump as you pull out of the driveway or you hit a pothole as you're driving away. Well, what happens is from that bump, it causes the coffee to, to splash into your lap. See, the bump didn't put the coffee in the cup. The bump revealed what was in the cup. And here's the bump of persecution. It should reveal a strong, genuine commitment to Christ, for it doesn't stop them. They will continue to endure through it all. That is to be committed to God's will. Obeying God, obeying God, not avoiding hardship, is the most important motivation in how we live. Now, in verse 3, it says, For we have spent enough of our pastime in doing the will of the Gentiles. See, Peter's adding this, that we spent enough of our time in the old life. You don't want to go back there. You don't want to compromise to that which we had enough of. I don't want to go back to that life of sin anymore. I don't care if it puts an end to this persecution. That's not where I want to go. And the trial compared to the life, to that life, I will endure the trial compared to that life I used to have because I'm done with that. I've had enough of that. So the examples Peter kind of gives us are examples of sins in general, and pretty much they fit with some of the sins that we are a part of. It talks about lewdness and uh, lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatry. So Peter's saying our lives are not there anymore. That is not you at this time anymore. And in verse 7, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's not easy to love one another when the one another is looking at us as strange and speaking evil of you. One person wrote, the more people I meet, the more I love my dog. And some people are alive because it's actually illegal to kill them. And with many more sayings like this, what does this communicate to us? This that human relationships can be complicated. And specifically here, it is geared more towards our relationship, listen, with Christians than those outside of Christianity, with the body of Christ more than those who are in the world. The word fervent that Peter's describing for us means to strain, is to have that kind of effort, to have that kind of love. It speaks of the muscles of an athlete at full straining capacity in competition. For example, in the Olympics, those men and women who run the 100-meter dash, as they get to the very end of that race, they are leaning in with this fervent strain, this full stretch to edge out the other at the tape. That's the effort Peter is telling us that we need to have in a love for one another. We as Christians are not perfect. We are all sinners, but it's important to us with each other as the world looks on that our conduct with each other would be absolutely above board. And as Peter says, it's one area that you don't want to drop the ball in, the, the ball of unity. We want to keep unity. We do not want to have division. So when men and women might speak evil of us, even in the body of Christ, and it's untrue, but it's true, yeah, we're sinners. We still make mistakes. Maybe they saw a flaw in my life. I failed. If our love for each other is above everything else, then that will cover a multitude of sins, and that's huge. It's a strain. It's a stretch, no doubt, but we have the capacity because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But more than that, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon our lives and makes us his witness to the world. This empowers us to be able to love others that have a lot of imperfections. The imperfections of bad-mouthing us 
Your imperfections of saying bad things about us when they were not true. It's a strain to love those kinds of people that were our friends at one time, that were our family at one time, who were part of the body of Christ. And though our imperfections are present, they're seeing something inconsistent in me, I know. But because if we all keep our love one for another, it has a covering. Our love is our covering to the world. They will not see that kind of disunity in the body of Christ. And as each one, verse 10, has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the, and the uh, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now Peter brings out spiritual gifts. And the Christian service must continue through these trials, persecutions, and sufferings. Basically, we are being given gifted by God. We got a calling by God. And no matter what we are going through in life, be it with relationships, be it circumstances, be it health, or even, you know, wealth or whatever it may be, we are to, we are to continue using our gift for God's glory. But many times when someone is going through a trial, a difficult time, there's the need to throw off everything that would tax them or be required the expenditure of effort and strength towards others. Thus, we are actually tempted to retreat into a life of isolation or a life of self-absorption. If it be so, that Christian would quit Christian service, quit gifting, would quit the gifting in their life given to them by God. And this could lead to forsaking the body of Christ and Christian fellowship altogether. That's in extreme cases where people just say, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't even do church anymore. I just got to back away. Once again, the bump didn't put the coffee in the cup. The bump revealed what was in the cup. And here, the bump of persecution should reveal a strong, genuine commitment to Christ, for it doesn't stop them. They'll continue to endure through it all, using their gift and their service to the Lord. So we've all been given gifts by way of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. They are called spiritual gifts. And Paul mentions them in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, and in 1 Peter and so one of the gifts mentioned here are those who have speaking gifts, that they would speak, as it says, as oracles of God. And the thing is, as oracles of God, it means that they have these gifts like teaching, like encouragement, like exhortation, those with discernment, those with prophecy. And then he said, talks about the service gifts. If anyone ministers, these are doing gifts like what our deacons do at church. It can be the gift of mercy. It can be the gift of hospitality and helps and administration. These would be the ministries of doing gifts. So there are speaking gifts and there are doing gifts. And as a Christian, you possess one of these spiritual gifts, or maybe more, but at least you have one. These gifts are important to the body of Christ as we all have purpose, call, and spiritual service duty. We don't want to shelve them because of trying times and difficult relationships or situations. We want to stay in the mix. And how do we know what these gifts might be? Well, let me illustrate it for you like this. In the body of Christ, in this way. I, let's say I have a dinner party at my house and about 10 people show up and come over. We have a nice meal, and now we finish the meal, we're going to sit down in the living room and have a cup of coffee. My grandson, Jack, who's eight years old, he's there helping out. 
And so he gets the tray of coffee and the spoons and, and cups and so forth, but he trips on that divider between the kitchen and the living room, which is from the tile to the carpet. And when you go from tile to carpet and the whole tray goes up into the air and Jack falls flat on his face. Ten people are watching this. Each person there is going to react to what just happened. Some may react the same. Some may react differently. But listen, how you react to the situation might reveal the calling and the gift from God on your life. For example, the person sitting there with the gift of prophecy, the tendency will be to say something like this. Yes, you fell. Realize life is full of trials and falls and problems. But remember, God is the God of second chances. And thus, and that would give, you know, give Jack some edification. I'll, I'll get a second chance. They'll, they'll let me try it again. The person with the gift of helps will not be verbal at all. They will be all action. They'll leap off that couch. They'll go grab some paper towels out of the kitchen or a towel, and they start sopping up that coffee mess that's on the carpet there in the living room. Make sure the coffee doesn't stain. They won't even think to say anything. They'll just do what they do. The person with the gift of exhortation might say to Jack, you know, you can do better than that. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get us some more coffee because you can do this, Jack. I know you can. And that's edification and that's exhortation and that's a challenge. The person who has the gift of leadership will get up and take charge of the whole situation. Why wasn't there anyone to help him do this? He's only eight years old. I can see this coming a mile away. So let's get this cleaned up. You over there, help get those splatters off the wall. You keep getting some more paper towels when you get this over. Let's move the couch out of the way so we can get some of this coffee underneath here. As a matter of fact, let's move this whole room around so it's more accessible. And that's, something like this would never happen again. That's the person with the gift of leadership. The person with the gift of giving is thinking, how much does those broken dishes cost them? Oh, I need to replace. I feel God wants me to replace them. So I'm going to write them a check and take care of those broken dishes for them. The person with the gift of mercy doesn't care about cups, carpets, stains. They only care about Jack. Oh, Jack, you must feel so terrible about what just happened. And they put their arms around him, tell him about when they were carrying a big pot of stew and fell down also. Listen, the point is this. No matter what kind of persecution or trial that we are going through, we don't isolate ourselves and become self-absorbed and back away from our service with our gift from God to the body of Christ and to the world. We continue to love one another even though our flaws and sin at times are spotted, but our love for each other would cover all of that, that we would, have, would cover a multitude of sins. The world would never see division. They'd only see unity because our love would make that shine brightly. So the important thing is for us to do is that we keep on ministering to the world and to the body of Christ.